Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Nightly Crowdcatcher with Corey Bank. This is episode 21. I am excited to be here with you all tonight. I am your host, and you're listening to WQEE 99.1 FM, the key at Newton, Georgia. I hope everyone's having a great night. It's now time to enter the late night madness. The first thing that we're going to be talking about in the world of MLB, in our first story, is the Philadelphia Phillies versus the Milwaukee Brewers. Aaron Nola struck out six and seven and one-third innings. Kyle Schwarber homered, and the Philadelphia Phillies moved a season-best 10 games over 500 with a 4-3 victory over the Milwaukee Brewers on Tuesday night. Bryson Stott, Trey Turner, and Alec Bohm each had two hits to help the defending NL champion Phillies improve to 52-42 with their fourth consecutive victory. Philadelphia began play a half game out of the playoff spot. All nine Phillies starters had at least one hit. That's incredible to see, folks. Overall, a great team win, Nola said. Andrew Monsisterio had two hits and drove in a run for the National League Central leading Brewers. Milwaukee had won four in a row, but Nola threw strikes on the edge of the zone. Brewers manager Craig Council said there were a lot of strikes with off speed. He kept us off balance, but Nola, 9-6, retired the first 14 batters, getting the second out in the fifth inning on Schwarber's leaping catch against the left field wall to rob Owen Miller of extra bases. Incredible. Philadelphia Phillies manager Rob Thompson said, Everyone is a little shocked, but Schwarber joked, I guess that's how you can play the left field wall. But Ramel Tapia followed and reached on an infield single. Shortstop Turner was shifted up the middle, and he wasn't able to throw out Tapia at first after fielding the ball in the hole at short. Mondesterio got the Brewers on the board with a devil off the center field wall that scored Tapia, and Milwaukee pulled to a 3-2 when Mondesterio scored from second on Bryce Turang's grounder that was scored a hit and error on baseman first baseman Derek Hall. After Hall dropped the throw from second baseman stop, but Nola took over from that point on, retiring the next seven batters before Monsasterio and Terang hit consecutive singles to lead off the eighth. He said one key to his success on the night was slowing down his delivery. He was really pitching his tail off tonight, Schwarber said. The classic Nola, he was pounding the zone, and the ball was moving tonight. Nola gave up five hits and walked none. Craig Kimbrell pitched around a pair of errors in the ninth for his 16th save. He's been through it all this year, Thompson said about his closer. An unbelievable job for us indeed. But the Phillies gave Nola an early cushion with single runs of Julio Terrana in each of the first three innings. Schwarber led off by driving the first pitch over the wall and left for his career-best fourth straight game with a homer. It was the 26th dinger of the season for Schwarber, who has 26 career leadoff homers 
and sixth this year. Bohm's RBI ground out in the second, and Nick Castellano's RBI single in the third made it 3-2. to two. After Milwaukee closed within a run, Stott hit an opposite field RBI single in the fifth to make it a two-run game. With Nola lifted after 98 pitches with one out in the eighth, the Brewers cut it to 4-3 on Christian Yelich ground out of Gregory Soto. So in the end of the day, it they had signed Miller, and Philadelphia signed their first round pick, Aiden Miller, a six foot two, two hundred and five pound infielder from J.W. Mitchell High School in Trinity, Florida. The nineteen year old Miller batted three eighty five with eight homers and forty seven RBIs. That's the draft pick that they got at number twenty seven overall. But as we head to the training room. The Brewers had right-handing pitcher Brandon Woodruff. He had a right shoulder strain. He's scheduled to begin a rehab assignment in single A ball, high A ball, Wisconsin on Saturday. But Woodruff last pitched in April. As for the Phillies, their right-handing reliever Noah Song had a back tightness, and that's what we had there. So it was the Philadelphia Phillies who took this game to the bank by the score of 4-3. Into the next game we go of the MLB News. We're going to be recapping tonight about a game between the Chicago White Sox versus the New York Mets. David Robertson retired Tim Anderson on a game-ending flyout that stranded runners on second and third. And the New York Mets beat the Chicago White Sox 11-10. After building a seven-run lead behind a pair of Francisco Alvarez's home runs, Alvarez and fellow rookie Brett Batty hit back-to-back -back home runs of Lucas Gilotti as the Mets took a 5-0 lead in their highest-scoring first inning this season. That's just incredible that they had done that in this game. But Alvarez added another two-run homer in the sixth off Tanner Banks for his third multi-homer game, putting the Mets ahead 11-4. I do know this. He's not scared of the moment. Mets manager Buck Showalter said that's rare. The 21-year-old Alvarez has seven homers in 11 games in July and has 19 this season. The most catchers, the most among catchers this season tied with Josh Jung of the Texas Rangers team for the big leagues among rookies. That right there, folks, is an excellent display of power. So, asked if he was expected to be productive in this game, Alvarez grinned. Why not? He said through an interpreter. The only catcher to hit more homers at 21 or younger is the Hall of Famer, Johnny Bench who had 26 homers at age 21 back in 1969. But I looked out there one time. I do read the score. And the board now says that he was named with Johnny Bench. And that right there is an unbelievable set. So Chicago closed in in the 7th on Jake Berger's two-run double and Yasmani Grandel's two-run single against 
Trevor Gott, and Alvarez's pass ball. Andrew Benedetti hit a two-out run-scoring single in the ninth after a pair of walks by Robertson. But Benedetti stole second, and Anderson flied out on a slider, slamming his bat as Robertson got his 13th save in his last 16 chances. That right there are really good odds and percentages. You gotta like that when you're a manager. But the last couple innings, we were able to put some zeros on the board, which allowed our offense, which was on their game today, to get us back in the game. White Sox manager Pedro Gravol said, We battled all game long, took it down to the last at bat. We didn't get this one, but we battled. Grant Hartwig gave up two runs and one of two third innings. And New York won for the 8th time in 12 games. They're starting to figure this out. <laughs> They're starting to get a groove as a team in camaraderie. That's what they needed to do because before coming into the break, the Mets were not getting it done. But Tommy Pham hit an RBI double. And Pete Alonzo had a sacrifice fly in the first for the Mets who gave, who had been outscored 65-31 to 31 in the opening frame this year. That right there is unbelievable. But Jeff McNeil had a pair of RBI singles, and DJ Stewart hit his first homer since September 7th of 2021, and Francisco Lindor hit a run-scoring double. But Grandall homered off Carlos Carrasco, who allowed four runs and six in his four and two-third innings pitched. But Giolotto... Gave up a season-high eight runs. One shy of his career high. Not a great start for him. And that matched the season low of just appearing in three and two-thirds innings. His ERA rose from 3.45 to 3.96 after the game. But you know, he's got 32, 33 starts a year. I can't remember the last time he wasn't on. Griffol said he wasn't on tonight. But as for the Mets... There really was something that they brought. And they're starting to figure this out as a ball club. And getting the camaraderie and putting together these wins. It's something that you need to see as a New York fan. But into our training room injury report. We got the White Sox. And outfielder Aloy Jimenez. Left groin injury. Who left Sunday's game against Atlanta in the first inning. Could return to the starting lineup. For Wednesday's game, right-handing pitcher Liam Hendricks' elbow is scheduled to throw a simulated game Wednesday. Mets outfielder Starling Marte was scratched because of a migraine and were placed in the lineup by Mark Canna, who hit eighth. But Marte has missed two of the last three games. And Pham had a right groin. He returned to the starting lineup after sitting out on Sunday's game. But all in all, in the end of the day, it was the New York Mets who took the Chicago White Sox to, you guessed it folks, to the bank by the score of 11-10. And now, in our last game of the MLB recap tonight, is between the Kansas City Royals versus the Detroit Tigers. Darren Blanco tripled, doubled twice, singled, and drove in three runs. And the Kansas City Royals overcame Spencer Torkelson's two 
homer night to outscore the Detroit Tigers, 11-10. You have to get ready every day, Blanco, who ranked the day as his best ever in baseball, said, a day like today, you just get ready and take advantage of it. Blanco tripled and scored to help the Royals tie it at two in the third and had a run-scoring bunt to cap a five-run fourth. That right there is amazing. When you're able to rack up that many runs in one inning, you're doing something right. He doubled and scored in both the sixth and eighth innings for his first career four-hit game. Everyone of his hits was important, says Royals manager Matt Quattaro, said that what stood out to me, it was nice for him because I know he's been pressing a little bit. But to see him do this, it was straight up rewarding. Blanco admitted he was trying for a home run to complete the cycle on the day. And his final at-bat, falling a few short in his first career homer, instead settling for an RBI double that made it a 10-6 game. I definitely went out there looking for it, Blanco said. As soon as it left the bat, I thought it had a chance. But as soon as I saw it hit the dirt, I thought I needed to find more push-ups. So, seven consecutive Royals reached safely in the fourth and route to a 7-2 lead. Freddie Furman and Drew Waters had RBI extra base hits, and Edward Olivares slapped a two-run single through a drawn-in infield. Tenacity to keep adding on throughout being added to there to keep grinding through. Quatario said, we need every single run we had. But in the first inning, Torkelson blasted Daniel Lynch's sinker 430 feet to left for his first homer since July 2nd and a 2-0 lead. He had a three-run shot, his 14th of the season, to left in the fifth to cut it to 7-5. I was looking for the mistake and got a couple, Torkelson said. There was a lot of good in that game. At the end of the day, we had a lot of things going for us, but they just capitalized on a couple more mistakes than we did. And Torkelson added a seventh-inning double. He had career highs with five RBIs and ten total bases. Excellent display of hitting on the day. So Lynch completed five innings. He allowed five runs and six hits and two walks. He struck out three. I didn't think I threw the ball that well, Lynch said. Two mistakes were magnified, and I didn't get ahead of guys as much as I would have liked to. That kind of stuff is the difference between winning ball games. So Detroit scored four in the ninth as Scott Barlow walked three, but escaped by retiring Riley Green on a fly ball with two Tigers on base. It was nice to see us respond, Tigers manager A.J. Hinge said. Good at bat after good at bat against a good pitcher? That's a good sign. We had the right guy up at the end and a chance for a big swing and came up one run short. But Detroit's Tariq Skubal made his third start of the season after missing almost a year after surgery on his left elbow. He allowed seven runs on eight hits, striking at three over four innings. 
Javier Baez doubled and scored in the sixth for the Tigers. Baez had three hits and stole two bases. A great day for him. But it was not enough in this game. So in this barn burner, it was the Kansas City Royals who took this game to the bank by the score of 11-10. Into the night we go. You don't want to go anywhere, folks. We're about to go into the NBA offseason. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home. Offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like bed bugs, German roach, and flea control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control. Repair. Bond. Best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control. 34 Jefferson Street, Newton. 770-954-9941. Want to give back to your community in a meaningful way? Cares for Kids is a Keller Williams Realty-founded charity in which 100% of money raised goes directly to children in need in our area. Cares for Kids helps fund local organizations like Angel's House, Cowita Casa, Elevate, and more. Help Cares for Kids reach their mission of serving 1 million children. Call 678-634-9770 today to learn more on how to be involved or text k for k Noonan to 44321 to donate. This week's Property of the Week is located at 688 Cheatham Road in Griffin, Georgia. This 32.14 acre tract is waiting to find its new owner. This property features a three bed, two bath home built in 1890. An 18 by 28 utility shed ran with its own power and water, fencing for horses and other livestock, and timber such as pine, oak, and pecan trees. Call 678-634-9770 for more information. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bick on WQEE 99.1, the key attitude in Georgia. And now we're heading into the world of the NBA. And our first story is about Joel Embiid. And he might be done trusting the process in Philly if the 76ers fail to play for a championship in the near future. Embiid? was named NBA Most Valuable Player for the 2022-23 season and enters his eighth season with the franchise con contemplating his next move. I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. Embiid said in an interview with Maverick Carter that took place Thursday at the Uninterpreted Sports Film Festival, I don't know where this is going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. I want to see what it feels like to win that first one. And then you can think about the next one. It's not easy, but it takes more than one or two or even three guys. you got to have good people around you. And myself, every single day, I work hard to be at that level so I can make it happen. So every single day, I'm working towards that. Although the interview took place Thursday, video of the conversation gained steam Monday on social media. 
Embiid said he loves the challenge of hearing other players mentioned for MVP and proving himself. I understand the business. It's fun. At the end of the day, I think of it like this. I'm extremely blessed, Embiid said. Embiid was in Los Angeles to launch his own film studio, but he appears to have no control over who will be his co-star for next season. He has been paired with Ben Simmons and James Harden. As the 76ers attempt to break through in the Eastern Conference, Simmons was traded for Harden, who returned last season for less than a maximum contract, only to request a trade entering the 2023-24 season. Harden reportedly informed the 76ers he wants to play for the, for the LA Clippers. Embiid said last month, that he was hopeful Harden would still change his mind. Embiid signed a four-year, $213 million contract extension back in 2021 that runs through the 2026-27 season and averages more than $52 million per season. Wow, folks, that is a lot of money. A lot of money per year. And our next story, in the NBA offseason, is about a former NBA champion showing off his skills on the golf course. Next, Stephen Curry made an 18-foot putt for Eagle on the final hole to win the American Century Championship on Sunday. His first title in the celebrity tournament. Curry, the Golden State Warrior star who made a hole in one Saturday, topped it with his closing eagle on the par 5, 18th hole at Edgewood Tahoe Golf Course on the shores of Lake Tahoe. After the putt dropped, he tossed his hat into the air and ran into the arms of his wife, Aisha. I don't do this for a living, so it's something you dream about, Curry said. I've been playing it in this tournament for almost a decade now, and I've got some hard work to show for it. It's pretty special. The Eagle was good for six points under a version of the modified Stableford scoring system. Players received three points for a birdie, one point for a par, and minus two points for a double bogey or worse. Curry finished with 75 points, two ahead of runner-up Marty Fish, a former pro tennis player who won the event back in 2020. Fish was three points ahead of Curry entering the 18th, but made par. Curry went viral for the second time this weekend, following his ace on the 150-foot par 3 7th hole. I was hitting the ball pretty solid, so I felt that there was a chance that that would happen. On the putt, I was surprisingly calm. The last five feet felt like a slow motion. Fish pulled even with Curry with birdies on three of the first six holes. He moved into the lead when Curry bogeyed the 11th, 12th, and 14th hole. Under conventional scoring, Curry shot 72 on Sunday. Fish had the best round of the day, and he shot three under at 69. Joe Pavelski of the Dallas Stars was third with 66 points, former Major League Bates. Pitcher Mark Mulder was fourth 
and New York Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers was fifth, one spot ahead of LPGA Tour great Annika Sorostam. Former pitcher Derek Lowe was seventh, and defending champion Tony Romo finished eighth. Curry is the first black winner of the tournament in this 34-year history. He becomes the fifth active athlete to win and the first since Tennessee Titans kicker Al Del Greco in 2000. His first place prize of 125000 will be donated to charity because Curry is an amateur golfer. Charles Barkley finished 81st in the 93-player field. So, that right there is a really great story for Steph Curry, showing that he's helping with charity and showing off his golfing skills. Now, in our last story in the NBA offseason, it's about a Cavaliers player who helps them win a summer league title. Yes, Isaiah Mobley had 28 points and 11 rebounds. And the Cleveland Cavaliers captured the NBA 2K24 Summer League Championship with a 99-78 victory Monday over the Houston Rockets. This was the Cavaliers' first title since the Summer League went to a tournament format in 2013. Mobley was voted MVP more than making up for not being selected to the all-tournament team. I try not to worry about stuff I can't control, Mobley said. Do I agree with it? No. But it is what it is. I'll take the championship over it all day long. Sam Merrill scored 27 points, making 6 of 12 three-pointers. And Imani Bates added 19 points. For the Cavaliers. Nate Hinton led Houston with 18 points and 10 rebounds. Three other Rockets also scored double figures. Cam Whitmore with 14. Trevor Hudgens with 13. And Fletcher McGee. He had 10. But Whitmore was chosen tournament MVP. And Mobley, a second round pick back in 2022, finished strong in summer league. He put the Cavaliers in the title game by scoring 23 points and making the winning shot in overtime to beat the Brooklyn Nets. He put the Cavaliers in the title game by scoring 23 points and making the winning shot in overtime to beat the Brooklyn Nets. But Merrill, who was voted first team all-tournament has a history of playing well at the Thomas and Mack Center. His three-pointer was two and a half seconds left, gave the Utah State team 20-20, so he's known for these kind of memories. It's a great arena, Merrill said. I've played it in more than any other. It's nice knowing the locker room and feeling comfortable, and obviously we had a lot of success here. But yes, on Monday, the Cavaliers asserted control early, by running out to a 17-4 lead, Houston went on a 19-4 run to cut the margin to 41-38 late in the first half.
But then Cleveland scored the first 11 points of the second half, making a 62-44 lead, and the outcome was never seriously in doubt after that. I felt like if we banded together, we were going to make a run in the second half, Hinton said. They made some tough shots and some great shots. So shout out to those guys for making that happen. In addition to Whitmore and Merrill, the all-tournament first team was made up of Keontae George of the Utah Jazz, Orlando Robinson of the Miami Heat, and Hunter Tyson of the Denver Nuggets. But the second team was made up of Bates, Max Christie of the Los Angeles Lakers, Javon Freeman Liberty of the Chicago Bulls, Xavier Moon of the LA Clippers, Jabari Smith Jr. of the Rockets, and Jalen Wilson of the Nets. So that concludes the NBA Summer League. We'll be right back with the NFL offseason. You don't want to miss it. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location. 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A here in Noonan. Same great taste. The best chicken around. Fish dinners. Open Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine in. Take out. It's Wishbone Fried Chicken. Right next door to their former location. Bringing you the best chicken around. So great. Wishbone Fried Chicken, 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A, here in Newton. Got mold? Call the Mold Man. Specializing in crawl space and interior mold remediation, encapsulations, and basement waterproofing since 2019. The Mold Man team takes pride in keeping your family healthy and your home mold free. Visit our website, themoldmanllc.com, to schedule a quote or give us a call at 678-227-9763. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of the Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's funnest sports talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is. You've never heard a show like it because we make the listeners a part of the show. Every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE. Braves Country is a Southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to a Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key. Out of Newton, Georgia, and now we're heading into the NFL offseason. And our first story that we're going to be recapping upon is about NFL running backs not getting deals done despite being franchise tagged. So, Monday's deadline for franchise players to agree to long term contracts passed without the deals for New York Giants Saquon Barkley the Las Vegas Raiders' Josh Jacobs, and the Dallas Cowboys' Tony Pollard. The three running backs were the only players who received the franchise tag not to have reached a long-term contract. And they had 
until 4 p.m. on Monday to get one. They will now have to play the 2023 season on their franchise tenders worth $10.09 million. They will now have to play at that regard for the running backs. Pollard has already signed his tender, but Barkley and Jacobs, however, remain unsigned and stay stayed away from their team's offseason programs. It is what it is, Barkley tweeted on Monday. But they are unsigned. Barkley and Jacobs cannot be fined for not attending training camp, which begins for veterans on both the Giants and Raiders ball clubs on July 25th. Barkley and Jacobs are not expected to report the training camp with the rest of their teams. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported Monday, the two unsigned stars will lose money only if they miss regular season games and forfeited game checks. The player to most recently sit out an entire season was running back Le'Veon Bell back in 2018. The Giants' contract negotiations with Barkley did not go smoothly from the start. The Giants made an initial offer during the bye week last November that Barkley never seriously considered. Multiple sources told ESPN's Jordan Rainen the two sides then table talked until after the season. The Giants' offers to Barkley increased earlier this year, reaching a point where a deal could max out at $14 million per season. Sources told Rainen, but the sticking point was guaranteed money and structure. They never got close to this satisfaction. But once the Giants signed quarterback Daniel Jones, just minutes before the start of the new league year, they instantly used the franchise tag on Barkley. This was always one of the options, according to general manager Joe Schuwen. At that point, the Giants took their last offer off the table, and the talks did not seriously pick up until recently. So, it's pretty insane how this works out with the franchise tag, but Barkley admitted this opened his eyes to the reality that the NFL is a business. However, he did not like the tag and how the entire process was portrayed publicly, making it known on multiple occasions that the offers were not always how they were perceived to be. Me getting tagged? Was I upset about it? Nobody wants to get tagged, Barkley said last month. To sit here and say I was frustrated, I was mad, I was upset. What really got me upset was the stories that got leaked out. How misleading they were and how untruthful they were. I feel it was trying to paint a narrative of me, a picture of me that is not even true. Even close to being the truth. Barclay's contention throughout was that the way the money was being portrayed made him look greedy. The Giants had never offered near the desired $22.2 million that he was looking for. The combined amount of franchise tags this year and next year as of late last week. So, a source told Ron, Barkley, 26, finished the fourth in the NFL with a career-high 1,312 rushing yards last season and ran for 10 touchdowns. He's as elusive as they come, and he can smash hole through holes. He also tied for the team lead with 57 receptions. He has played 60 career games over five seasons since being the number two overall draft pick back in 2018. 
after which he was named Offensive Rookie of the Year. He has rushed 4,249 rushing yards and 37 total touchdowns. The Raiders had presented a deal to Jacobs, and he chose not to accept it, as he wanted a bigger payday. Schefter reported on Monday, Jacobs, a first-round pick of the Raiders in 2019, when John Gruden was coach and Mike Mayock was general manager, did not have his fifth-year option picked up last spring by the incoming staff of coach Josh McDaniels and general manager Dave Ziegler. Jacobs, 25, surprisingly played in the Raiders' 2022 preseason opener, leading to the rumors of him being a trade candidate. Instead, he responded with a career season leading the NFL and rushing with 1,653 yards and 2,053 from scrimmage while scoring a career-high 12 touchdowns and catching 53 passes. His 86-yard walk-off touchdown at Seattle was the longest run in the NFL last season. He became the first Raiders player to lead the league in rushing since Marcus Allen in his 1985 MVP season. When you put yourself with a name like Marcus Allen, you have done something to define the running back position in the franchise. So Jacobs' production surprised McDaniels, who acknowledged he was used to running back by committee approach in his offensive system. But after the season, Jacobs insisted he wanted to return to Las Vegas. It's got to make sense. Raiders owner Mark Davis said at the NFL's annual meeting in March that Jacobs was the heart of our team. Jacobs, meanwhile, was essentially silent throughout the process aside from his few cryptic tweets. Sometimes it's not about you, he tweeted in June, giving the impression he wanted to effect change to a system that financially undervalues the running back position. We gotta do it for the ones. So, the last time a running back signed a long-term contract worth $10 million or more per season was the Cleveland Browns' Nick Chubb back in 2021. Tennessee Titans star Derrick Henry was among those taking notice of the depressed market from running backs. At this point, just take the running back position out of the game then. This one's that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seem like it like it doesn't even matter. I'm I'm with every RB that's fighting to get what they deserve. Pittsburgh Steelers running back Najee Harris added on Twitter, I agree with my running backs brothers around the NFL history. This will show that you need running backs to win. We set the tone every game and run through walls for our team and lead in many ways. This notion that was deserveless is a joke. And Los Angeles Chargers running back Austin Eckler tweeted, Everyone knows it's tough to win without a top running back, and yet they act like we're disregarded widgets. I support any running back doing whatever it takes to get his back. Pollard will take over the lead running back role this season for the Cowboys after the team released longtime starter Ezekiel Elliott earlier this offseason. Pollard said in May that he expects to be fully ready to practice at training camp after having surgery to repair his ankle injury. 
that he suffered in the Dallas playoff loss against San Francisco back in January. Two days after the playoff defeat, Pollard underwent a tightrope procedure instead of a surgery that requires screws into the tibia and fibula for his repair. In this procedure, a braided polyanthal cord rather than a rigid surgical screw is applied to restore the original position of the bones and to allow for proper healing. Pollard was named the Pro Bowler after rushing for a career-high 1,007 yards on 193 carries with his 9 rushing scores. He also caught 39 passes for 371 yards and 3 touchdowns. Before last season, he had never had more than 130 carries or even 719 yards in the season. So it's pretty amazing that these running backs are finally, st finally speaking up. All of them have the same thing in common. They're all premier running backs at this game. They all need to be more deserving of it. They deserve better. It's pretty unbelievable that the running back position is not getting that much pay when they're taking all the battering hits from all the defensive players and making all the necessary blocks. They need more money. I'm really for this running back committee. They should be more valued, not devalued. Into this last story of the NFL offseason is about a Jacksonville Jaguars tight end being franchise tagged and the Jacksonville Jaguars reached on a three-year contract. So the terms were not disclosed, but a source told ESPN's Adam Schefter on Sunday that Engram's deal is worth $41.25 million and includes $24 million fully guaranteed. Engram had received the franchise tag worth $11.345 million from the Jaguars earlier this offseason. Evan Engram set career highs in catches 73 and his receiving yards 776. Last season, that's a single season record in both categories ever for a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If that's saying something, it means he has done something that no Jaguar tight end's ever done. So obviously the Jaguars believed in me. They wanted me here as much as I wanted to be there. So I'm blessed and really thankful we got something done. It was up and down. I kind of wish it maybe would have gotten done a little earlier, but all in all, they got it done. Engram, 28, set those records, and he passed Kyle Brady, and that stat was back in 2000, folks, that he was able to do this. Engram is the fourth tight end in Jaguars franchise history, surpassed 50 catches in a season, and only a second to surpass 60. The Giants drafted Engram 23rd overall back in the 2017 draft. And he caught 262 passes for 2,828 yards and 16 touchdowns in five seasons with New York. He said he wanted a fresh start and felt that signing with the Jaguars last offseason would give him a chance to put up some good numbers and coach Doug Peterson's tight end friendly offense. And that right there... It's pretty amazing. He has definitely reshaped his career. And he is the face of the tight end room of that franchise. And has the most of all time 
Evan Ingram is definitely an asset for this Jacksonville Jaguars ball club. We'll be right back with music news. You don't want to miss it. How do you make the most of your land? Everyone has their way. The Nelsons depend on their John Deere Gator XUV 835R to get from point A to point B with decoys and the dogs. As much as we got going on, it's all about efficiency. And if you ask the Mosers what they use their Gator XUV 590M for, they tell you. The most fun we have on the Gator is just ripping around the property. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at Deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer. I'm pretty handy around the house, but now that I have kids, I don't want to spend my Saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner. But thankfully, there's HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project. You can read reviews of the pros, check their availability, and even book appointments online. And what my wife loves most is that HomeAdvisor is completely free to use. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app to get started. HomeAdvisor. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about cars. And I don't really mind keeping it that way. This, it's cool. I called CarShield before my car broke down. Thanks to CarShield, I don't have to understand anything about what's broken because plans can pay for repairs on up to 6,000 parts of my car. Leave fixing cars to the experts and call CarShield before your car breaks down and maybe save some money for once. It's a thought. Call 800-579-6554. 800-579-6554. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy, because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Mm, good idea. Sliced right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE. 99.1, the key at noon in Georgia. And now, we're heading into our music news segment. This first story is about a popular hip-hop artist whose concert is not going to be canceled, commented by Live Nation. So in a statement to Billboard, Live Nation refuted reports that Travis Scott's show in Egypt has been canceled, saying... There have been no changes to Travis Scott's show in Egypt. Any reports to the contrary are false. We can't wait to celebrate Utopia with you in Egypt. So, from this original story, the news comes after the Egyptian syndicate of musical professions reportedly cited Murad issues about Scott's forthcoming performance. The syndicate which ultimately approves concert permits, is said to have concerns about ensuring the safety and protection of the audience. Dr. Mohammed Abdullah, in a statement on behalf of the musician syndicate obtained by Egypt Today, said, regarding the concert scheduled to be held on 28th of July, at the Pyramids area in Giza by American rapper Travis Scott, the Musician Syndicate, as the entity responsible for issuing licenses for music and singing concerts in Egypt, in coordination with the Egyptian Ministry of Culture, represented by the Censorship Authority 
for Artistic Works and the Ministry of Labor emphasizes the necessity of considering security aspects and obtaining approvals from the relevant authorities as a top priority when organizing concerts. This is to ensure the safety and protection of the audience. The statement also cites Abdullah as saying that the group welcomes various art forms. It has set conditions and regulations to safeguard the customs and traditions inherited by the Egyptian people. In addition, Egypt Today quotes Abdullah as saying that social media played a part in the decision to cancel the concert's license after examining social media opinions and feedback as well as the news circulating on search engines and social media platforms which included authenticated images and information about peculiar rituals performed by the star during his performance contradicting our authentic societal values and traditions the syndicate president and board of directors have decided to cancel the license issued for hosting this type of concert which goes against the cultural identity of the Egyptian people, he reportedly said in a statement. Billboard has reached out to Scott's reps for comments. Back in 2021, 10 people died and many more were injured at Scott's Astroworld Festival due to a crowd rush. After 19 months of police investigation, a grand jury ultimately decided that no one should be criminally charged for that disastrous event. In a statement to Billboard, Scott's attorney, Ken Chafer, said, The grand jury's decision proved that Travis Scott is not responsible for the Astroworld tragedy. This is consistent with investigative reporting by numerous media outlets and federal state government reports that have squarely placed the honest for event safety crises on organizers, operators, and contractors not performers, Schaefer said, while waiting patiently for the district attorney's decision to not file charges, Travis Scott has been inaccurately and wrongly singled out, despite stopping the show three separate times and being unaware of the events as they were unfolding. Now that this chapter is closed, we hope for the government efforts to focus on what is most important, stopping future heartbreaking tragedies like Astroworld from ever occurring again. Very interesting story. Very interesting story indeed with Travis Scott. But it's, but it's great that he's going to be able to uh, perform again here in Egypt. Now, we're about to be going into our next story on music news. You don't want to miss it. When you really need something to get you through a long graduation ceremony, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are there to give you a thrill. With varieties like Trolley Sour Bursting Crawlers, the worm's soft and chewy texture, surprising flavor combinations, and neon bright colors will give everyone a reason to celebrate. So when you want to notch the festivities up a couple degrees, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are the perfect way for everyone to celebrate. Shop now for any trolley that crawls your way. This is Austin Black, and I am the host of Behind the Tunes. Have you ever wondered about the stories behind your favorite songs and the journeys of those that sing them? 
each week we invite you to go behind the tunes and step into the stories behind your favorite Christian artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Hey everybody, this is Andy Crispin. Join me this week for worship as I play two hours of the best in modern worship music from churches and worship leaders around the world. And this week, my special guest is Blake Goss of New Spring Worship. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I'm making ways in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For us, that scripture came alive because he did a new thing actually in an old place. You don't want to miss a moment of this week's worship with me, your host, Andy Crispin. WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key, home of Southern Sports and Talk, Noonan, Sharpsburg, Franklin. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bay on WQEE 99.1, The Key, out of Noonan, Georgia. And now, we're heading into our next segment on music news. This story is about a rock and roll legend performing in, in Hamburg. So, Bruce Springsteen was 34 in 1984 when he released Glory Days, a deceptively upbeat song about looking back at the high school years, rock songs cast as the prime of our lives. He was almost 50 when he reunited the E Street Band back in 1999 and gradually turned what seemed like it would be a celebration of his past into the second half of his career. Now, at 74, he's taking some time to look back in his memoir. During his one-man Broadway show on his album, Letter to You, but his July 15th concert at the Volks Park Station in Hamburg was a joyous celebration of the power of rock and roll. Let's get the obvious out of the way. Yes, Springsteen has slowed down a bit, but concerts on his tour clock in at less than three hours with relatively stable set lists, and he doesn't slide across the stage on his knees anymore. Who could? It's inevitable. But he is still delivers the greatest show on earth. He's not playing the kind of concerts he did four decades ago, but let's face it, no one else is either. The band endures video segments during 10th Avenue Freezeout Honor late band members Clarence Clemens and Danny Federici, but the band tours on. That seems to be the point of these shows, many of which open with no surrender and its vow of dedication followed by ghosts and its salute to a lost bandmate. It's a look back, but in Hamburg, Springsteen leaned into its statement of purpose. By the end of the set, we leave no one alive. Springsteen played four songs from Letter to You during the show, which along with his spoken introduction to The Last Man Standing, were presented with German subtitles on screen. The implication was clear. These are the important ones. They're probably easier for foreigners to understand than any of his lyrics about the New Jersey Turnpike. Really, though? They're all important. Someone by fast, working on the highway, while Springsteen stretched others into extended jams, including Out in the Street, during which he showcased the horn sections Katie's Back and Back Streets. Springsteen 
is one of the only rock musicians, truly one of just a few figures in pop culture in general, to chronicle the arc of his life in an art form usually obsessed with teenage concerns. Over the years, he turned his creative attention from escaping the life he grew up with, born to run, to the difficulties of building his own in darkness on the edge of town, to the challenges of sharing it with someone else, a tunnel of love. Then later, to the brotherhood he finds with his band. Over the last few years, his attention has turned to his own mortality in a way that's free of the hope I die before I get old mythology, but still cast in his usual rock and roll terms. The band endures even perhaps beyond its members. Before he played Last Man Standing from Letter to You, Springsteen told his story about his first rock band, the same he might have on Broadway, only to about 70,000 people, and how he's the last one of the members still alive. He compared the situation to standing on railroad tracks, looking at the headlight of an oncoming train and how it brings a certain clarity of thought, of purpose. Back then, he remembered life was full of hellos and, letter, and later on, there's a lot more goodbyes. Any resignation was immediately followed by defiance in the forms of backstreets, which could be about the time he formed that first band. Followed by Because the Night and Soon Badlands, both of which are essentially about seizing the day. Springsteen is old enough to confront the idea of hanging up his rock and roll shoes, but he's not ready to do it. It seemed the crowd could relate. Sounds of recognition greeted the line in the Thunder Road about how you scared and you're thinking we ain't that young anymore. A line Springsteen wrote almost half a century ago. The concert paused there, then continued with a six-song encore, Born to Run, a born, a born in the USA, triple header of Bobby Jean, Glory Days, and Dancing in the Dark, and then that joyous extended 10th Avenue freeze out. His final song was subdued, I'll see you in my dreams, a goodbye about goodbyes, for death is not the end. At one start, and hopeful it circled back to no surrender, and the start of the show. Now young faces grow sad and old. Springsteen sang just about after he took the stage, and hearts of fire grow old. We swore blood brothers against the wind. Now I'm ready to grow young again. Then he spent the next two hours and 45 minutes doing exactly that. Incredible. What Springsteen has done in his career, the fact that he is still going, and he's going at this level, Incredible respect to the rock and roll legend. Are you an unsigned artist that's looking to take the next step in your career? Look no further. Your time is now. Joint Empire Troop has come to your rescue. Owners Casey Case and Cameron Winokur are ready to make your musical dreams come true. Whether you're looking to record your next track, compose your next project, or need help with mixing and mastering your existing music, we will always be here for you in your time of need. For more information, 
go to www.joinempiretroop.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Natalie Crawcatcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key at Noonan, Georgia. Everyone, thank you for listening in tonight. Thank you, WQEE. Everyone, get home safe, get a great night's sleep, and we'll see you later.